welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 366. Hey, hello and welcome everybody. I am super excited to be doing another one of these shows because I'm always excited to do this You're show. always excited. This is like my favoriteest thing to do ever or something. Anyway, we are the Family Gamers as always. I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by the best co-host in the biz, also my wife, Anitra. That's me. You forgot uh, the person who came up with topics. Oh, uh, yeah. The to- topic finder extraordinaire, <laughs> <Anitra> Smith. <laughs> How was that? Was that better? Uh, that was All great. Right, excellent. All right. So, topic finder extraordinaire, Anitra Smith. What are we talking about this week? Well, what year is it? Uh, 2024. Well, yes. But it I is. I mean, what do you want me to tell you? <laughs> but it is also the year of the dragon. It is. It is the year of the dragon. And so I was I was looking at some old shows and I was inspired. I was like, oh, hey, we just had Lunar New Year not too long ago. And now it's the year of the dragon. And it's been uh, almost five years since we talked about dragon games. So I think I think we're due. I mean, <laughs> minor point. We have absolutely talked about games with dragons I mean, in them in the intervening yes. five years. But we have not done an episode focused on dragons. So we're going to talk about our top five dragon games to play for Year of the Dragon. Yes, that's what we're going to do. I, however, need to get this show on the road with a fact or two. Or two. Or two. I have two facts. The first one, if you are an anime fan, this might be of interest to you. The anime Bleach, which is a fairly well-known anime. I believe, Anitra, you said you have never heard of it. It just doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, I mean, it's not up there with, like, One Piece or one of these, like, really legendary animes, but a lot of people know Bleach. Anyway, the anime Bleach had 366 episodes. Okay. There was also this other, like, thousand-year war thing that they did, which is a different deal, but in terms of proper episodes, there were, in fact, 366 of them. That is fact number one. Fact number two, I did not put in the show notes because I wanted you to be totally surprised. Okay, so tell me what it is. And here we go. In August of 2010, Martin Korbusen in the Netherlands set a record. This is, in fact, in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most lemmings saved during a playthrough of the rare arcade version of Lemmings. Oh! 366 lemmings. 366 lemmings. Man, <laughs> I loved that video. I game. know you did. That's why I thought that it would be a fact that you would enjoy. <laughs> so there we go. A couple of facts. One for Zach and you, and one for anime fans everywhere. Okay. All right, and we've got a sponsor message for you as well. Let's face it, life is a resource management game. We have so much fun sitting around the table and plotting the use of resources in games like Power Grid or Terraforming Mars, or at least some people do. Why is it so stressful in real life to manage our resources? Well, it doesn't have to be. Resource management in real life follows many of the same principles, but because we're in it, it's harder to see. It helps to have an outside advisor in those cases, and that's what First Move Financial can do for you. For expert help applying some of the same principles that help you take down your friends in Agricola, head over to firstmovefinancial.com familygamers today and schedule a call for free. All right. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring an episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. So, Anitra, we are going to talk about Dragon's second half of the show. So, first half of the show, we're going to talk about what we've been playing like we always do. I figured that thematically, I would stick with the Dragon thing. What do you think? I I think you should start with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, 
people who have listened to the show for a while know that I am a bowler. Uh, that is a thing I do. It is a sport I enjoy. I got it from my parents, like a disease or some kind of <laughs> like, I don't know, genetic condition. I am a bowler. And when I say I am a bowler, I am not in like these leagues that you would think of where I go and I am grossly overweight and I'm, you know, drinking a bunch of beer and throwing a greasy bowling ball down the lane. I am actually a competitive bowler. You're a you're a sport focused bowler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, things like I'm a ten pin bowler, not a candle pin bowler for anybody who cares. Candle pin is not a real anyway. Whatever. But we're whatever. not gonna get no, into we're that. We're not getting today. into that. Um my average is somewhere between 200 and 210 on any given day. That's like where I'm at. So um, all of that to say, Claire, our oldest daughter, also has gotten the bug. Or maybe I've just like not let her Passed say no. it on. I mean, like I, don't a communicable I don't know. I don't know. Disease. I think she enjoys it. I'm pretty sure she enjoys it. But anyway, uh, so Claire competes nationally. So every year we go to this thing called Junior Gold, which is the Junior International Bowling thing. It's sponsored by the United States Bowling Congress. People come from... I guess it's not international. People come from like Hawaii and stuff, though. So it's like a big deal, right? And like colleges come and they scout kids and all this other garbage. But anyway, so I'm at the trade show last year. And I might have mentioned this on the show before, but Claire pulls my sleeve or whatever and says, Dad, there's a board game over there. And I'm like, OK. So we went over and we talked to Scarb Enterprises and they had this board game called Dragon Bowl. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I want to review this for the channel because I don't. First of all, I don't know when I'm actually going to get to play it for real. And we have this soft policy where we play a game at least three times before we review it and all this other stuff. So I just was like, you know what? I'd rather just buy this game and, you know, that that way no strings attached, whatever. Well, I had the opportunity to um, just do like a one-on-one -on -one coaching session with a friend of mine. And he's a board gamer. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to bring Dragon Ball. And so we finally actually played Dragon Ball. Now, here's the thing. Dragon Ball has on the cover... Bowling alley not included because really like the board game part of it is like barely a board game. Basically, you go like from place to place on this board and you flip over these, you know, it's a set of enemies. They're just shuffled up and you flip on over. You know, there's like plot and stuff and whatever. It's all pasted on. But every enemy has a number in the corner and that number correlates to a, you know, a die of, you know, X faces like a D4, D8, D6, you know, D10, D12, D20, whatever. So you flip the enemy over and there's a number and then you have to roll that number die. And the here's the cool thing about the game. Depending on your average, you're either beginner, intermediate, advanced, expert, or pro in this game. And I was, I fell into expert for my average. And so what that meant was I would flip a, car a guy over that I had to beat and I would roll a D4 and if it was even, I would have to move left on the lane. If it was odd, I would have to move right on the lane. And then I would roll whatever the die number was. And I had to at least get that many pins down on the first ball. And then I had to spare. So the game had me at air quote expert level moving all over the lane, which forced me to do a lot of different, you know, things with speed and with hand position and all this other, you know, bowling junk that nobody really cares about. But the person that I was coaching was at intermediate. And so for him, he didn't have to roll a D4 for anything. All he had to do was roll the die that correlated with the card and at least knock that many pins down. And so if you fail to do the thing, you, you know, you can't get past that enemy. And so the cool thing about this game is it just gives this scaffolding for two people of differing skill levels to air quote, play a game against each other. But it's 
differently challenging for both of you. Like it's not just having a handicap. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like it's it's not just like just do your best at bowling and your handicap will make up the difference. Like for more skilled bowlers, there are different things to work on to get better. And so this the, again, it's called Dragon Bowl from Scarb Enterprises. You can just look it up online. But it's a really really cool practice tool that has a little bit of competition in it, right? But at the same time, like he's bowling and I'm, you know, making suggestions to help him do certain things better, right? And stuff like that. So like, it's not like I'm going to grind you into the dust competition, but it's like friendly competition to try to win at this game. Anyway, to be entirely transparent, I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. Okay. It was actually a ton of fun. I can't wait to get back on the lanes with this game with Claire because she will probably beat me too because this moving boards thing is like really hard it's really hard so anyway so that is Dragon Bowl from Scarb Enterprises I had a lot of fun with that and it fits the theme so there we go okay all right over to you well we got our copy of Avant Card from the Kickstarter we did it was so exciting and uh, we had only had it for a day or two when our son pulled it out and said, oh, hey, I want I want to show my friend how to play this. Oh, mom, you can play too. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> sure. <condescending>. <laughs> I was more like I was trying to help him get it set up and then I was going to go do something else. He's like, no, mom, you can play. I was like, okay. Oh. I mean, it was a little condescending, but also, <laughs> also sweet. I suppose you're cool enough to play mom. But it reminded me. One of the things I love about this game, it's a really cool deck builder and it is not hard to learn. The friend who had never played it before pasted us. (laughs) He definitely picked up on how the buying works and what you're doing with the special powers. And he was able to combo stuff together better than anybody else. And that's how the game goes. So that was a good time. Uh... Is it back to me already? Goodness. You and I played Deblockle. We did. It was so nice to pull that yeah. out and play it again. We haven't played Deblockle in a long time. We played it at our favorite uh, restaurant for breakfast dates. Mm-hmm. It was a good fit for that because it's not super small, but it's not real big and it's super, super sturdy. So nothing's getting moved around accidentally or anything. Right. Yeah. It's just a nice game with you know a fair amount of abstract strategy you know it's good stuff i like it a lot yeah i like it too and one of the reasons i like it is that unlike say a shobu where i have to keep looking at the board and like sort of reworking out like oh if i do this then i can do that if i do this then i can do that because all of the blocks in deblockle have symbols on them it makes it a little bit easier for me to look at the board state and see what's possible and what's not yeah, but for some reason, like, my brain, after one or two flips, I'm just like, no, I I don't even, I don't know. Yeah, I'm usually only looking one or two moves ahead. I'm not looking super far ahead when I play. <laughs> and you beat me, so you're not terrible at the game. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know. Um, thanks for pointing that part out, I, I guess. <laughs> hey, man. Anyway, that's Debacle, Debacle from Project Genius, really good. I played some more for Northwood, which is the solo trick-taking game. I really like this game. I really would like it to be shorter than it is, though. 
Uh, with practice, it's gotten a little bit faster, but it's still not really in that 20-minute sweet spot for me, mostly just because you're playing out eight hands, and between each hand, you're figuring out special powers and, like, how can I strategize and which hand requirement do I want to go for next? It just it takes a little bit more time to work through all of that stuff. But I started the, I guess you could call it a campaign that's in the booklet. And that was interesting. It starts putting some other constraints on what you can and can't do in a particular playthrough, which is nice. Hmm. Can you give an example? Well, so in this scenario, it had specific helpers that I got to start with. You always have four helpers who are out all the time. And it said, you've set it up with these four specific helpers for the eight hands. Basically, you still set out random people. And then when you played your cards out, basically any time that you played a number that you have more than one of in your hand, whatever happened to that number happened to all of that number. So if I played a five and won a trick with it, then that five would go into my winnings pile, but so would any other five in my hand. If I played a, you know, a two and lost a trick with it, all of the twos in my hand would go in the discard pile. Hmm. So it did speed up the game, which was also nice. Yeah. But it made me think through my strategy in a different way because if you're really, really trying to say lose every trick, then you look at it and you'd be like, oh man, I ha- but I have this seven in the Trump suit. Oh, but hey, this other thing came out and it's an eight in you know this other suit. I'm going to play this seven I have that's not in the Trump suit. And now my seven Trump goes right in the discard pile. Great. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of clever. So it was an interesting back and forth with there. But I did also like that it made the game shorter. (laughs) So that was for Northwood, the little solo trick-taking game. Mm. So we played a couple of games that we've kind of talked about already, like on the last show, but uh, we've played more of, like uh, Archaeologic. Mm -hmm. We played more of Mm -hmm. that. We played that with Asher. The app for that was not as comprehensive as we wanted it to be. It's not bad. That's a good word. So... In this game, when you set the game up, you get a certain number of hints to kind of get you started on your board. And if you don't use the app, you have to take the clue card and there's like a special extra piece Yeah, that you put on the clue card to get the hints. And you have to do it for one hint at a time. Ugh, and it, Yeah. And each one is like, it gives you coordinates and a symbol. Mm-hmm. And I mean... Fine, right? So if you use the app, that's basically the only thing the app replaces. Uh, It's the only thing the app fully replaces, yeah. I mean, I guess it also, like, you don't have to have the rule book with you because you don't have to check the result in the back. But you have to have a card. The app doesn't replace the need for one of those, you know, the clue-giving cards. Yeah. Which I think would have been the, haha, killer app uh, usage for the thing because I mean you still need all the pieces of the game to play the game so it's not like you would render the game you know unnecessary if the app was allowing you to do everything yeah I don't know but I just I wanted more out of it I wanted to be able to say look I get 
everything except for my grid, my notes, and my polyominoes handled by the app. That's what I really wanted, and it it didn't do that. I still had to use the uh, the archaeoscope with our clue card to get my actual clues. And like, I'm fine with doing that in general. Like, I'm it's fine. It's not terribly onerous, but. If the app enabled me to do all of those pieces, all of a sudden this be- actually becomes a pretty good travel game. Right. And I, I get where you're going with that. We had this discussion last time. I think if you took out the archaeoscope entirely, it becomes somewhat of a different game because it doesn't have that really tactile nature as much I agree. Anymore. I agree with that entirely. I totally do. It does become a different game, but it doesn't become a different game that replaces the core game. It becomes a different game that you can use in different scenarios, different yeah. circumstances. Use like, some of the same pieces for a similar game that's not the same game. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah like, yeah. I mean, it, it's the same game in the sense that you're still tr- like the thrust of the game is the same, but it just doesn't have that same tactile feel yeah. for that, you know, kind of an experience. But I think it's okay to have an experience that is slightly different like that. Like sure. that's travel chess or something like that is a different thing kind of, or like Travel Catan or one of those yeah. things. Or a, a better example would be, um, what is that Cosmos game with the marbles? Dimension or something Oh, like Dimension. That? Yeah, there's yeah. a travel version of that that is totally different, but the thrust of the game is the same. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Um, but that's not what this is, before we go too far that direction. Right. Um, the app for Archaeologic, it does make the setup part with the starting hints way faster and easier. Um, you can basically scan the the card thing that you're using and then tell it if you want three, four, or five hints because those are your options at the beginning of the game. And then it literally just shows you a layout. Here's your board. Here's where these symbols are on mm-hmm. your board. Right. Um, instead of having to look each one up, write down the coordinates, figure out exactly what that means. So, like, that part's nice. Being able to check your answer with it is okay. So, yeah. But here's the thing. The app as it currently exists, I would use all the time. Like it just it cleans up a couple of things that are frankly kind of obnoxious. Yeah, that that setup piece is I'm glad that there's an option to do it without the app, but I don't think I'll ever do it without the app again. <laughs> right. But what and, and what I'm saying is that I the ability to have another way to play the game that is more streamlined doesn't invalidate the whole tactile experience of actually using the archaeoscope and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I would like to have those two options. Yeah. No, I'm because I'm, then I can play the same game in two different environments. I understand. That's all. But that's Archaeologic. Again, this is a really great deduction game, has a lot of Turing machine vibes, but it's a little bit more uh, you know, imagining things in a 2D space as opposed to just number crunching. So um yeah, I like it. Sure. Well, this past week has been February vacation for our kids. And while the older two have been somewhat busy, Elliot is just home. And (laughs) so, especially early in the week, he asked me to play a lot of games with him, which was nice. Uh, So I played Santorini with him, uh, which is unusual normally if I'm playing Santorini. Normally, if anybody's playing Santorini, they're playing it with Asher. (laughs) But this was Elliot pulling it out and saying, I want to play. So that was fun. Asher and Elliot and I played Kabuto Sumo together. This is one of those things where I think now that we've reset our expectations about Kabuto Sumo, it has a better place for our family. Okay. When we were 
playing it to review it, it always felt like the games took too long. Like, it's a great concept, but the games took too long. And this time when we pulled it out, it didn't feel that way. Part of it was taking different risks and also adding in the Total Mayhem expansion, which can also speed things up a little bit. Mm -hmm. But we were just being a little bit less serious about it and taking a little bit more risk. And it made it more fun and less slow. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> so that was good. As a whole family, all five of us, we played Picky Pixie together. You remember that? I I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's been a busy week. So we talked a little bit about this last time. Picky Pixie is a game designed by Elizabeth Hargrave and published by Buttonshy. So you're working with 18 cards. This is a clue giving and deduction game, but it's one where you have the clue giver is kind of working somewhat in opposition to the rest of the group. The clue giver's goal is to get people to guess incorrectly as many times as possible. Whereas everybody else's goal is to guess correctly as soon as possible. Right? Does that sound about right? I mean, I, I guess so. <laughs> well, because when someone guesses correctly, they get points for how many cards are left in the deck. And the pixie gets points for how many guesses were made this round. Sure. So it was a lot of fun with five people. I like that the back and forth changes a little bit. Anybody can call for a guess after any turn. And there's definitely a incentive to pay attention to what everybody is doing and to guess early. Really. I mean, like, it's one of those kind of like, what have you got to lose? You mm. might give the pixie more points but you're gonna f at least find out that your guess was wrong which still gives you information on where you're going sure 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 so i'm enjoying that i'm looking forward to playing it some more hopefully as a family i would say one kid did not like it and one kid did and one kid was kind of meh so <laughs> so hopefully that means we can get it played some more no i <sighs> Look, I, I think they'll play the game. There's certainly games that they have enjoyed a lot less than Picky Pixie, and I, I don't really think that this is something that they're just going to be, you know, horrified at the prospect of ever playing again. And I think once we got into it, again, this is one of those games where it seemed slow, and then once everybody got what was going on, it sped up. It is going to take longer the more people you have. Yeah, because every single one of them has to guess. Every single person gets a turn at being the Pixie. Right? So you have more rounds if you have more players. Mm. Yeah, but at some point, everybody's going to want to do some guessing. Well, that too. So there's going to sure. be a lot of like, hmm, uh, mm, uh, what do I think? Mm, uh, mm. You know, that whole thing. So that part happen. too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. I have one more game on my list. It's a dragon themed game. We're going to talk about it second half of the show. So I don't know if you want to talk about that one. I'm guessing not. Uh, but that's kind of it because I still had to work this week. Um. Yeah. Well, I am going to put in a plug here again for Pocket Paragons, because I played some more of that with Elliot, too. And we really enjoyed doing our review of that two weeks ago. And you all should go watch it on YouTube, because I think it's adorable. Yeah. Elliot is, uh, he's funny. He wants to do more reviews. So you're going to be seeing him some more. <laughs> and hearing. 
and hearing. All right. I guess that means that's it. I mean, I actually played more games over February vacation than I thought I was going to because I've been fairly busy as well. So that's been nice. All right. Awesome. Well, you know what we do have a lot of is people that have joined the Family Gamers community. Boy, howdy, do we. <laughs> so uh, we here's what's going to happen. Okay, so we're going to welcome our new community members. Then we are going to announce the winner of the National Geographic Secret Clue Animals giveaway. Then we are going to go to our break. And when we come back, the first thing that we're going to do is for science. What do you think of that? Sounds pretty good to me. All right. Would you like to get the party started? I'm going to start by saying some of these names look suspiciously familiar, and I really thought a few of these people were already part of the community, but Facebook tells me that you joined in the last month, so I'm going to welcome you anyway. Yeah, just count it all joy. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome to Daniel. Welcome to Kristen. Welcome to Talia. Welcome to David. Welcome to Rockford. Welcome to Chris. Welcome to Amaya. Okay, Amaya, you have the coolest name ever. Maybe because of the Dragon Prince. I'm not really sure, but it doesn't matter anyway. Dragons? What? (laughs) Just bringing it in again. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to Cora. Welcome to Steve. Welcome to Mustafa. Welcome to Pedro. Welcome to Dave, as opposed to David. And Leah. Welcome to James. Daniel. Another Daniel. And welcome to Bree. Thank you all for being a part of this community, and I hope you feel very welcome here. Yeah, and feel free to ask all sorts of questions. We are at just about 775 members in the Family Gamers community. That's crazy. I remember when it was like 10. (laughs) And we were two of them. (laughs) I remember when we were begging our friends to be like, please join this community so it looks less sad. Yeah, so, I mean, just thanks so much to everybody who joins and who shares, you know, stuff. Even if you're asking questions about games to play with your kids, I think it's still awesome. I love people sharing the games that they're playing with their families. I love Mark from Grand Gamers Guild sharing the Easter escapade and people commenting and saying, hey, you know, we have these and we love them. Like just all that stuff is just fantastic. I love that he also shared some of the games that he's been playing with his his stepkids. His stepkids, which is awesome. Yeah. So super fun, super great. Uh, We really appreciate it. We're really excited that people are, you know, getting engaged in that community. It rules. If you have not joined the Family Gamers Facebook community, first of all, why not, man? (laughs) Uh, Second of all, you can get there by going to facebook.com slash groups slash familygamersaa or thefamilygamers.com slash community. All right. And our last uh, point of business before we take our quick break is to talk about the giveaway. The giveaway! So... Hopefully you didn't miss it because the giveaway is over, (laughs) but we are giving away a copy of National Geographic Secret Clue Animals, which we did a how to play video for. We did the 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 official how to play video on the Underdog Games website. So special shout out to Underdog Games who provided us with an extra copy and said we could give it away on the show. So that's what we're doing. So out of all the people who entered our giveaway rafflecopter picked us a random entry (laughs) and the winner is john deloney congratulations john i am sending you an email and hopefully you will respond and tell me where you live so that we can send send you a game (laughs) awesome good stuff all right well uh, like we said we're gonna go to our break 
You're going to hear us talk about the latest in the Unmatched series. Mm-hmm. Unmatched Sun's Origin. Brand new this week. Mm-hmm. Just came out. Well, I guess last week when this comes out. Uh, sure. But whatever. Anyway. Close enough. We'll be right back. Major, let's cut to the chase on this week's Snap Review. We're going to be taking a look at the latest release from Restoration Games in their unmatched line, Sun's Origin. But before we get into it, I just want to pause and mention that the characters in this box, Oda Nobunaga and Tomoe Gozen, were real people. I think Unmatched is best when it's blending history or legend with their incredible mechanics, and I definitely think that's true here as well. Totally. But before we get into this game, we want to encourage you to go read a little bit about these two figures in Japanese history. We'll link to Wikipedia articles in the show notes for convenience, but feel free to do a little research yourselves. I don't think we know enough about the history of Eastern Asia, and a lot of it is really interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure is. So, let's get into it. This is a snap review for Unmatched Sun's Origin. Sun's Origin is a two-player standalone box in the Unmatched series. It features two characters, Oda Nobunaga and Tomoe Gozen. Like we said, both of these characters were real people in Japanese history. Nobunaga was a daimyo in the 16th century, and Tomoe Gozen was a female samurai in the 13th century. Unmatched as a series supports two to four players, although only two can play with just this box, and a game of this lasts about a half an hour. There's one board in this box, a multi-level map of Azuchi Castle. Here we are again, talking about the art of unmatched. We actually put up a shelf in our house to put our unmatched boxes on because the art is always amazing, and it's no different here. For this set, Yuda Onoda used his experience in Japanese illustration to visually delight us, capturing the calm intensity of a clan daimyo in Nobunaga and the ferocious battle-tested nature of Samurai Gozen. Subtle details abound all the way to the color saturation on the card art reflecting the card type, Blue for defense, red for attack. It's detailed and gorgeous as all unmatched art should be. We've talked about the mechanics of unmatched at length in other reviews. Um, Check the show notes. So we're just going to cover some differences here. Unlike some of the other sets which introduce new mechanics on the board, like the doors in the Little Red and Beowulf set or the high ground in Battle of Legends Volume 2, the only new mechanics in Sun's Origin are the unique abilities of Nobunaga and Tomoe. Nobunaga and his two Honor Guard are melee characters. When the Honor Guard attack or defend while in the same zone as Nobunaga, they get a plus one bonus to their combat values. In addition, Nobunaga and his Honor Guard have flanking. An opposing fighter is flanked when they're adjacent to two or more fighters under the control of Nobunaga's player. Cards have all sorts of positive effects when a player is flanked. Tomoe Gozen has no help. But she is ranged, and she has an ability called Attack of Opportunity. Anytime an opposing hero leaves Tomoe's zone, maybe forced out by Tomoe with a card ability, they take a point of damage. So what did we expect in this set? I was excited for this set. Kind of like we said at the top, I'd much rather have characters like these who were real people, or even like legends like Achilles or Yanenga. Sets like the Marvel sets are cool and fun, but there's something about Unmatched that really shines with characters closer to real life. 
I really prefer the larger board for the four-player sets, but I love how multi-layer boards, and what I mean when I say that is the idea of there being height on the flat board, they work really well with ranged characters, and I definitely wanted to play with that too. I always like seeing a female hero, so I knew I'd try Tomoe Gozen the most. But let's talk about what surprised us. I actually found taking advantage of Tomoe's abilities was way harder than I expected. Melee fighters would just charge in, so it was tricky to figure out how to get her abilities to work, especially since she had no help. I had the most success playing keep away with her, especially (laughs) since, again, she had nobody to put between her and my opponent's characters. I was actually surprised to not find any surprises built into this board. (laughs) It was really nice to work with a set that didn't make me work so hard to figure out that extra layer of strategy of where you want to be and when for what advantage. Figuring out how to use Tomoe effectively was hard enough. I think you need to do two things with Tomoe. Spend most of your time staying at a distance, hopefully in a multi-zone spot that lets her hit a lot of the board with her ranch attacks. But occasionally you should use her maneuvering to do quick hit and runs to take advantage of cards that give her bonuses for being adjacent to her opponent. Don't worry about running down her deck. If she's forcing the melee characters to chase her, they'll have to spend more cards than she does. With Nobunaga, on the other hand, he had two honor guards, and they both had six hit points. His ability to give his honor guards bonuses works really well with flanking, And so charging in with him was a really effective strategy across multiple sets. We tried with a lot of characters, and he was really effective. So let's talk about recommendations. Obviously, we love Unmatched. Do we recommend Sun's Origin? I think we would recommend Sun's Origin, but only if you've played Unmatched before. The strategies for Tomoe and Nobunaga are both pretty challenging, and I don't think they're a great fit for a newbie. See, I kind of disagree with that. I think Nobunaga's strategy is pretty obvious. (laughs) I mean, you think so. Unmatched Sun's Origin is a great complement to an already amazing set of characters in the Unmatched universe. We do recommend starting with one of the four-character packs or one of the three-character Marvel sets if you want characters that are popular in modern culture. We're going to give Unmatched Sun's Origin four rising suns out of five. And that's Unmatched Sun's Origin... In a snap. And we're back. Now it's time for science. Stand back. I'm about to try science. We're not actually trying science. We are trying space dunk Oreos. (laughs) They are very... With a package that won't open. Pink and very blue. Wow. Yeah. They are also very smelly. (laughs) It says they have, like, Pop Rocks candy in the filling. Yeah, I I mean, they look like normal Oreos, except that they're pink and blue, like, filling. And the instead of saying Oreo on one side, it has, like, a picture of a star or a rocket or I don't know what. And and also you can see the crazy colored filling. All right. Well, you might have heard we have incorporated the children into this episode of For Science. So now each one of us is going to eat... A what? Space Dunk Oreo? Space Dunk Oreo. Space Dunk Oreo. Here we go. I mean, I guess technically it's Oreo Space Dunk, but whatever. Oh, it tastes like cheap birthday cake frosting. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I can feel a little bit of popping. Oh, it's weird. Hmm. I don't know. I don't. Oh, 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 there's. Oh, yeah, there's Pop Rocks in there. Oh, that's weird. Okay. (laughs) 
They're popping in the back of my mouth, which feels very strange. Yeah, me too. I twisted what was left of mine apart and licked it, even though I don't like the <laughs> frosting stuff. And then I get a little bit more of the Pop Rock. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, it's very strange. Yeah. yeah. Well, the children like them enough to want to eat more of them. All right. No, that's fine. It still has that Oreo-like feel. Like, yeah, you can on. tell can you're I have another one? Oreo. Thank you. I disagree. The, the flavor and the texture of the filling is so unlike other Oreos. The filling, yeah, but the cookie is the cookie like is, the wafer cookie is Oreo, Oreo cookie. normal. Yeah. And I think that's really what carries the kind of the Oreo sensation. Sure. No. No. All right. Anyway, Space Dunk Oreos or Oreo Space Dunk, whatever they're called. You can get them at your local grocer, I guess. Um, the package is a little bit smaller than a normal package of Oreos. Um, I mean, it is, except the packages of Oreos have generally been getting smaller oh. and smaller. Yeah. So. Yeah. Man. Thanks for nothing. Shrinkflation, whatever it is. But anyway, so if you like Oreos and you like Pop Rocks, uh, I got to say, go and get these. But um, Anitra's giving these a big no. I don't mind the Pop Rocks feeling, but I really despise that kind of cheap, oily frosting taste that the filling has. And it doesn't taste like normal Oreo cream. It's, right. it's, it's softer and sweeter and... It's gross. I don't I like wonder it. if it's still dairy and gluten free and all those things. That I'm Oreos sure it is. Oh. Yeah. Well, anyway, there you go, everybody. We did some science. Yay, science. Well, thank you to our children for <laughs> assisting with that for science. Yeah. Um, and I guess it was Nick originally who recommended these for for science. And then I saw them at the store and bought them. So here we go. We're getting into. Our actual topic, which is less pop roxy, um, <laughs> but more magical, I suppose. I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, and we are going to talk about some dragon games. So, 2024-ish is the year of the dragon. I think it started at the beginning of February. The year of the dragon has a special extra meaning for me as well, because my mother was born in the year of the dragon. So, those of you playing along at home, you can make a guess at... Which multiple of 12 <laughs> my mother is. But dragons are just really cool. Dragons capture our imagination. And we talked about dragon games a long, long time ago with Claire in episode 169. I think that was back in 2019. It was a long time ago. But because it was such a long time ago, we're not necessarily going to talk about the same dragon games for a bunch of reasons. But one of them is... There are other dragon games that have come out in the last five years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But also, this is going to be a top five dragon games. And back then, it was sort of a, like, if you have a little kid, if you have a bigger kid, if you have adults, whatever. And we're not doing that this time. We're going to do a top five. All right. Well, we've spent a bunch qualifying this. Let us get the party started. The first game on the list is a game that is actually pretty recent. It's in our review queue right now came out near the end of last year, I think, and that is Dragon Keepers from Cosmos. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the game Dragon Keepers. It's by Michael Menzel, who's a little bit of a big name in board gaming, and it's really approachable. It's this card collection game. You're kind of herding the dragons into groups of like dragons, mm -hmm. and they're super cute. Yeah, so the general mechanic of the game is that there's two decks. There's a deck of numbers and a deck of colors? 
colors, breeds. I, I guess breeds or types. species, species, subspecies, something like Whatever. that. Anyway. So there's these two fairly large decks, and then there are two cards that are face up, one that corresponds to each of them. And on your turn, you can draft up to three of these dragons uh, from either side. It doesn't really matter. And then you need to, or you can, or I mean, your goal in the game is to put dragons down. So you can put down some number of dragons of a given species or breed or however you want to call that, that is the number on the left and the species on the right. So if it was like a three and a green, you would have to put down three green dragons. Yeah, you have to put down the exact quantity and type that are currently shown on the book, quote mm-hmm. unquote. So there are like, I think, shadow dragons, which is something that you can get as one of your rewards that can be wild. So that's very helpful. And also, after you draw your three cards, you can put one card back on top of the deck. So if you say you want to change the number higher or lower, whatever, you just put that card face down on the number deck. Or if you want to change the species, then you would put something face down on that deck. And that enables you to have a little bit of flexibility and tailor it a little bit towards what you actually have in your hand instead of just being frustrated and stuck all the time, which is pretty smart. However, there's an additional constraint in how you can put down dragons. Yep. As we said, there are four types and you're sort of laying out the different types in a row and then putting the same type in a column. Once a type of dragon has dragons on either side of it, it's blocked off and you can't play that dragon anymore. So there are awards for, you know, getting to having all four kinds of dragons out. And those awards are really great. But by the time you have four kinds of dragons out, you can only play two kinds of dragons. And it's the two that are on the outside of your setup. Yeah, and it really becomes, in some ways, just kind of luck of the draw and what you end up committing to. Sometimes, if you have a ton of something, you might just say, you know what, I really don't need any more of these, and I've taken a bunch, so who knows how much there even is left, so let me work on some other things and kind of close that one off. Mm. It really just depends on the way the flow of the game is, and I actually think that really helps with the kind of the replayability of the game. Yeah. Overall, I would say this game is, on the box, it says ages 8+. plus. I think that's accurate, but definitely don't expect an eight or nine-year-old to come at this with a lot of strategy. It's more just going to be a, oh, hey, look, I can play dragons now. Great. And I'm going to do that and get some points. And I think the strategy comes slower. So if you're playing with a proto-teenager, not really a preteen, but like 12, 13, then you can probably strategize on up. But if you're playing with a kid on the younger end, there's no reading. It's just numbers. The numbers are not all that big. The concepts are not hard, but fitting it all together into something where they can play up to the equal of an adult is just probably going to be too hard. Mm -hmm. The game itself is fun. We've reviewed some dragon games in the past that have not been good. So we're always happy when we run across one that is actually a decent game. And Dragon Keepers from Michael Manzano Cosmos is uh, no exception to that. So we're glad to put it on the list. Yeah, I think it's it sits in a nice place that it's not a little kid game, but it's still a fairly light game. Mm-hmm. All right. What's next, Anitra? Let's talk about a little kid game. Sure. I think Dragon's Breath definitely belongs in our top five. Dragon's Breath games. is a fantastic game. Dragon's Breath is really like a dragon game in spirit. Like you don't really, I mean, I guess your little icons on the corners have dragons on them, but none of what you're actually doing involves dragons per se. I mean, the idea is that you're all little baby dragons trying to get the gems out of the ice tower 
and Dragon Dad has to come by and melt it with his fiery breath. Right, which is adorable <laughs> and like thematically cute and whatever. I give this game mega points because I always give a game that uh, includes cleaning up as part of its mechanics as a it's a plus. Yes. You right? know and that's something this game does. More adult games should do that. More of the like heavier games should should have something where it's like, oh, hey, you're not using this anymore. And so it gets discarded to this spot in the box or something like that. That would be great. I mean, okay. I feel like adults can work together, but... <laughs> I mean, of course they can. But it's nice to be done with the game and be like, oh, all we have to do is count these gems and then toss a couple of pieces in the box and we're done. It's nice. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's fantastic. I love it. It is a really just cute, fun little game. It's kind of mind-blowing for kids, too, when you show them that there's different ways to pull the rings off to affect yeah. the way the gems fall. And they're like... What? You can do that? I don't even understand. What is happening? Well, yeah. And and with young kids, you talk a little bit about counting and the different colors. And, well, there's a lot of red that I can see right now. So mm -hmm. choosing red this turn might be a really good choice, but it might still not work out. It really just depends on how the gems fall. So it tests a lot of those skills for little kids, as well as just being a fun light game for older kids and even adults frankly mm -hmm. I, I would sit down with adults and play a quick game of dragon's breath all right and speaking of playing dragon games with adults the next game on our list is just a beautiful calm sort of abstract game but technically themed on dragons and that is the classic suro from calliope games yeah, it's almost 20 years old which is bananas suro is lovely and it's got this kind of maze-like element to it. And although it looks very adulty, it's definitely a game that like a five or six-year-old can participate in and play and even win. Yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, it's just really this nice pathfinding game. Is finding the right word? I don't even know. But it's path fun. Pathmaking? I don't know. Yeah. Path, yeah. path like tiling, path-following game. Yeah, I mean, really, your object in Soro is to be the last dragon standing, mm -hmm. um, and you lay tiles down onto the board, elongating and connecting existing paths. Every dragon that is on the edge of a tile you just laid has to continue following their path until they can't anymore. So either that's going to take them to a break in the board, where they then sit there and wait, or it's going to take them off the board, in which case they lose. So it's really just about kind of being able to visualize the paths mm -hmm. and some luck. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Why not? I mean, it's, it's a beautiful game. There's a couple of different versions. Is version the right word? Uh, of Zero? Sequels? Yeah. Sort of spiritual sequels that work very similarly. I don't know if Calliope ever did managed to do their like super crazy anniversary edition which was just absolutely gorgeous but um there's a lot of love for Suro out there for sure yeah for what it's worth i think only the original Suro is actually dragon themed because then there's Suro of the seas which has dragons on the board but it's more like a sea monster dragon and everybody else is in boats and then there's the phoenix rising in which everyone is obviously phoenixes yep all right um so next, I think we'll we'll do this. This is a game that you really love. I know you love this game a lot, so I expect this to be on our list. This is the game Block Ness. Wait a minute, those aren't dragons. 
I mean, they're totally dragony. Nessie is not a dragon. Nessie is not real. Well, yes, but Nessie is the kind of sea monster, lake monster thing that's showing up in Block Ness. They're not dragons. I love the game, but they're not dragons. But what then? What are they? Sea serpents. I mean, isn't that what like like Chinese water dragons are? But these aren't Chinese water dragons either. I don't. They, I don't know. If you take a look at them, if you look at the cover, you look at those things in Block Ness. Ah. Uh... How about in instead of arguing over this one, we replace it with dragon wood. <laughs> that one right, definitely well, has dragons. I will say, I like dragon wood more than block nest, which I know you really like. So if you are willing to replace block nest with dragon wood, <laughs> that is okay with me. So uh, so our fourth game is is dragon wood. Okay, fine, okay. sure, <laughs> fine. What, a, I didn't, <laughs> what am I, hosting a podcast over here? I have no idea what's happening. Dragon wood it is. <laughs> All right, so, well, let's make it your turn then. Let's talk about why Dragonwood, which is 10 years old, why Dragonwood is a great game with dragons. So there's a lot of things I really like about Dragonwood. This is a game that, um, first of all, the designer is super nice, and we met him, and we got to interview him and stuff, and that, you know, didn't hurt. Also, the publisher is really awesome. Well, it was really awesome. I mean, it's all weird with game right now. But Dragonwood is a cool game because it is a fantasy-themed game, but ultimately, at its core, it's using common card game style elements like sets and flushes and straights and things like that to attack monsters and the different kinds of like set or flush or straight or whatever that you use are like attacking different potential weaknesses on monsters and so you can really strategize with very simple mechanics to try to take out monsters as air quote easily as possible but mm-hmm. there's also a little bit of luck in it because the cards that you play for the sets to beat a certain threshold, you're not actually playing the cards to beat the threshold. You're playing the cards to give you a certain number of dice that you can roll to beat the threshold. Yeah. So there's a little bit of luck involved, but there's also strategy in trying to do the correct kind of set collection in order to beat certain kinds of monsters to get points or abilities so that eventually you can beat the dragons. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of great skills for kids in this one again. There's a lot of counting and learning about probability and you do roll dice, but the dice are six sided dice with each one has a one and a four and two twos and two threes. So you're likely to hit kind of middle of the road all the time on the dice. You know, it reduces the chance of being very lucky or very unlucky, which is nice in a kid's game. I think that's true. I I mean, I'm going to, you know honorable mention dragon realm which is kind of part of that same intellectual property we'll say which i think is a really interesting kind of step up in that dragon wood uh universe i think these games are really really good games to play at mixed age ranges because like i said you're using you know poker or whatever common card elements in sets and flushes and straights but with some luck and there's nothing really complicated going on so kids can definitely play it Dragon Realm is a little bit of a step up, I think. I think Dragon Realm was probably like a 10-plus game, whereas Dragonwood is probably an 8-plus game or something yeah, along those lines. But they're both excellent and understandable by kids. Dragon Realm just has you know some reading involved and some other kind of more advanced concepts. Dragon Realm has more reading because Dragonwood still has some. I mean, um, nothing you really need to read. Well, there are, there are the items and stuff that you need to uh, know what they do. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you're right. Dragon Realm has more reading, and Dragon Realm has the concept of 
area majority. It's not really area control, but area majority that whoever can put the most guys on a, you know, a realm card will get the best award. Yep. So that's the Dragon Wood Realm series. And uh well gosh, I think we already only have one left. Yeah, and this one should not be a surprise. Yeah, if at anybody all. is sitting there and they know anything about games and dragon games in the last, I don't know, five years. Five years. If you're surprised to hear the name Flamecraft, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny, out of all of the games here that we talked about, Flamecraft is the most not adult, but probably has the highest barrier to entry, <laughs> I guess. The highest age range to start. Uh, but it's still not, it's not a complex game. It's not a hard game. But this is a game that very definitely has quite a bit of reading. And there are a lot of things going on, even though in the end, it's not a terribly complex game. Would you agree? Yeah, I, there's just a lot going on, right? So you have a lot of options. You can get a little bit of analysis paralysis. There's a couple of things where you trigger stuff, which allows you to do other stuff. So there's some kind of sequencing going on in the game as well. Uh, some of the buildings that come out later in the game are a little bit more complex yeah. as buildings, I'll say. And so having the ability to understand how that iconography works and some of the other like abilities that the buildings let you do, I think is a little bit more of an advanced thing. I would also say that Flamecraft is probably a 10 plus game. Just like I said about Dragon Realm, I think they're they're in similar yes, places. Maybe, I think so. Maybe 11 or 12, but 10's probably okay. Flamecraft is, I would say, on the higher end of 10+, plus, and Dragon Realm is on the lower end of 10+, plus, but uh, that's what both of them say on the box. BGG, in all its wisdom, says that Dragon Realm is still a 6-plus game, for which I disagree uh, that's, that, no, no, entirely. It's not. Yeah, BGG is a 6-plus game <laughs> because it's being ranked by like hyper board game nerds who think that everything is easier than it actually is. Yes, exactly. All you have to do is go to the internet and find the video of Mandy Patinkin trying to figure out how to play Wingspan to understand that normal people do not understand board games the way board game people understand board games. Yeah. Flamecraft is not a six plus game. Well, that, that was my point. Flamecraft does not have that community saying it's six plus. Community says it's eight plus. Oh, I'm sorry. I, that's I thought Dragon, you said that Dragon Realm. The community says it's six oh. plus, which oh, I still okay. disagree my, with. My mistake. My mistake. Neither one of them is a six plus game. Anyway. No, no. And it says Flamecraft is eight plus. It, that, that's yes. a stretch. That's a stretch. I, I still think that's a stretch. I mean, that's possible, but that's a really precocious eight year old. Yeah, but I held that up to show that Flamecraft is still a little bit more complex than Dragon Realm. Even though I think the community ratings on both of those are kind of bizarre, <laughs> but the general consensus is that Flamecraft is a little bit more difficult, which I think it is. There's a lot more reading, and there's just so many more choices of things to do. I, and I think that is the big thing that adds complexity to Flamecraft, is just the amount of choice that you have. But let's talk up what's great about Flamecraft. In addition to being... A lot of things, but none of them are particularly hard or challenging things. These are the cutest dragons. I'm going to go out there and say, I like the dragons in Flamecraft better than the dragons in Dragon Keepers, who are very cute, and better than the dragons in the Tea Dragon Society, who are also very cute. 
in part because all of the dragons in Flamecraft have jobs and they show them doing their jobs and it's adorable. Yeah, they they really are. They're very much kind of the classic European style dragon, only cute. Yeah, but like watching a um a metal dragon working at firing and smelting the metal that they're working on with, with their little with their fire breath, breath, of course. Yeah, you it's know. great. Baking bread is Baking another one. Bread. Cooking meat, all that stuff. It's adorable. I love it. Yeah, the art is fantastic in this game. Honestly, I think the dragons having jobs, in addition to making them super cute, like extra cute, is one of the things that feels so wholesome about this game. And it's one of the reasons I love playing this with kids, because it's got a nature to it that you're not hunting down dragons or you're not even spraying fire to do a thing. It's literally just like, I am helping these dragons to find the right places to do the jobs that are good for them. Yay! Like, it just, it feels so nice. I just like that it's a nice, well-rounded gaming experience. Different people can appreciate different things about it. Claire loves Flamecraft primarily because of the dragons, and she likes the rest of the game. People like you and me, I think, like the game primarily because the mechanics are so solid, but also it being a super cute game really helps as well. Yeah, it really does. I don't think I would like this game quite as much if the rest of it didn't all hang together so nicely with all the cute dragons and what their different jobs are and things yeah it's one of those things where uh they really made sure that all of their stats were at you know a higher floor (laughs) instead of having a dump stat do you know what i mean i i know what you mean yes (laughs) yes so we really appreciate that about flamecraft and that's why it is one of our favorite dragon games i will say out of out of all of our five if you have like us, a daughter or possibly son who is all about dragons all the time, Flamecraft is the one to go for (laughs) because it is so, so cute. All right. So our top five dragon games, these are all games that we would recommend for you to play to celebrate the year of the dragon Mm -hmm. are Dragon Keepers, which is brand new from Cosmos, Dragon's Breath, uh, especially with little kids. Mm hmm. Haba game. Great game. Tsuro with really any age of people. That one's from Calliope. Mm-hmm. Yep, Calliope. Dragon Wood with slightly younger children or Dragon Realm with slightly older children. You wouldn't expect us to not cheat on the five, would you? <laughs> it's one game. It's totally one game. Yeah, right. Yeah. That one game <clears throat> can be purchased from Game Right or Game Right. <laughs> and Flamecraft, which is from cardboard alchemy i believe that's the original publisher you can get it now from lucky duck yeah so that is our list of games thanks so much for uh hanging in and if you've got some dragon games that you really like that we didn't mention (gasps) block nest doesn't count (laughs) apparently uh you can find us on the internet to tell us about the games that you like you can find the family gamers on facebook twitter X, x threads instagram or tiktok by going to at Family Gamers AA for Andrew and Anitra. You could also join the conversation in our Facebook community, as we talked about in the first half of the show. Maybe we'll talk about dragons there as well. Maybe we can debate Blockness, the merits of Blockness, the right. dragon, not dragon game. Sounds good. <laughs> or you can debate with us and other family gamers on Discord in the Family Tabletop community. Uh, we think the easiest way to get there is go to thefamilygamers.com slash discord, but it's not just the family gamers, quote unquote. 
It's also Little Big Thumbs, Brains on Games, and several other of your favorite family gaming content creators. Yep. They're all awesome. And you should definitely check out the Discord. So that is the familygamers.com forward slash Discord. That Facebook community, you can just search for the Family Gamers community on Facebook, or you can go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community to get there a little bit easier. If you just want to email us and tell us that we're wrong, you can always do so by emailing me, Andrew, at thefamilygamers.com or Anitra. To tell me that I'm right. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. <laughs> if you thought our fourth science segment was fun and you have some idea about some food that you think that we should eat and talk to the rest of the world about, you can always mail it to us. It's scary. The Family Gamers, 60 Auburn Street, number 528, Auburn, Massachusetts, 01501. Please don't try to like write that address down while you're driving or anything. I promise you it is in the show notes. Yeah, you can always find it, or you can communicate with us via any of the other things and tell us that you want to send something to us, and we'll just give you the address for that. Yeah, uh, It does have to be actual food. That yes. is a rule that we have. Yes. So, yeah. I am going to see if I can put together a, a little short video to show you the weirdness of the Oreo Space Dunk, um, <laughs> and I'll probably put it on TikTok and YouTube, but I implore you to... Watch one of our snap reviews on YouTube and please tell me what you think. I am always trying to get better at them. So please go to youtube.com slash the family gamers, pick a hopefully recent snap review <laughs> and leave a comment or send me an email. I really, really would appreciate it. Yeah. And each does a great job with those and we have fun recording them. I think I have fun recording. Most them. of the time we have fun recording yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> You know, on those YouTube videos, sometimes you can see our family gamers and play games with your kids' merchandise. We're usually wearing t-shirts. Well, we're always wearing at least t-shirts, but... <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we're wearing family gamers t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, t-shirts, hoodies. Sometimes we're wearing hoodies. Uh, but we also do have mugs and some other stuff at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. In addition to please, please, please giving us feedback, please also tell your friends about this podcast. Yes, you could also leave us a review at Apple Podcast and other podcast subscription sources, but mostly tell your friends. And leave us a review. Why not both? I mean, sure, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> While you're at it, maybe you should also check out our sponsor. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. We would love it if you went to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers. And while you're there, you can learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up victory points. All right, well... In between this show and the next one, I am going to be going to the Gamma Expo. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm going to see a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm going to talk about it on the next show. What? I know. I know. We're going to find a guest. I don't know who it's going to be. Probably somebody that I see at the Expo. That seems reasonable. That seems like a good idea. All right. <laughs> All right. So until then, everybody, play, play games, games with, with your kids. kids.